good to see everybody today. We, uh, <clears throat> we hope that you're blessed today. We hope that you're comfortable. And we hope that this assembly will be a great blessing to you. Uh, I was planning on speaking on grace. And I told several people I was going to speak on grace. That was the plan. And as I got closer and closer toward the end of the week, decided there was some things that still needed to be developed. And so I changed my mind. But I've had this uh, other story that, we, that Isaac read to us uh, about this morning in my mind for some time and been thinking on it. And uh, then I got my PowerPoint done and I, I put this picture on the PowerPoint. But I was going to Google to find this picture because I remember this picture. And I went to save it to my computer, and it was already there. And I was like, where'd this come from? And so I got to thinking about it, and I, then I remembered Nathan preached on this last April uh, when we were in pandemic. He did it on video. So then I had to go listen to his sermon and look through it to make sure I wasn't just regurgitating his sermon again. And, and they were different enough I felt comfortable about preaching this today. But uh, I was amazed to see the similarities in our thought process as we were examining these scriptures, but that, we, that shouldn't surprise us. Uh, as the text bears out these truths. Um, but I hope that today, that looking at these two women and looking at their story will be a blessing to you, it will be a challenge to you, and ultimately that it will bring you closer to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus because that's the whole reason for studying His Word is so we can draw closer to God, we can become more like Jesus Christ, and to do that, sometimes uh, we have to challenge ourselves. And I think this story is challenging. It's challenging for me. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. We're going to reread this just for a moment. Uh, now it happened as they went that he entered into a certain village. Now the village they entered into, I believe, was Bethany because that's where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were from. And it says, And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will never be taken away from her. You know, this story, for a lot of reasons, is remarkable. Of all the encounters that Jesus had in his three-and-a-half-year ministry, this one, this little short story about two sisters in a house and what happened here, what occurred here, is immortalized in Scripture. Do you think that was an accident? Or do you think that this was recorded that... The Holy Spirit inspired Luke to record this particular story just so we would know what happened. I mean, that'd be a pretty big stretch, wouldn't it? Everything that it was recorded for us in Scripture was recorded for a reason. And I'll tell you something about this story. This story was not meant to be a story just for women who are in the kitchen, okay? That's not what the application of this, it's much greater than that. Now, could we apply it that way if we want to? Sure, we could apply it that way. But this story has greater significance than just women working in the kitchen, okay? So don't 
think that that's what this story's about. But this is also more than just a tale of two sisters. This is a tale of two hearts. It's a tale of two perspectives. This is a tale of two women and what they thought was the most important thing. I think we have to be careful. Uh, because Martha, when we read just this story by itself, I think sometimes Martha is looked at as the antagonist in this story, as the villain, if you will. And we don't want to villainize Martha, even though we're going to be critical of Martha this morning. We don't want to villainize Martha. And I say we have to be careful because we shouldn't look at this one story and decide that we know exactly what kind of person Martha was. I mean, how unfair would that be? I mean, let's do that with Peter, okay? Let's take one event from Peter's life and decide what kind of person he is. So let's take the moment where Jesus is being led in, uh, into captivity and Peter's outside and he denies Christ three times. How unfair would that be to say, I know exactly what kind of person Peter is because of that one moment in his life where he failed. And so there's some things about Martha that the story doesn't tell us but there are some things about this moment that we can look at and learn from. And that's why we're going to be critical of Martha. Not so we can criticize Martha, but we can look at what Jesus did in teaching her to help teach us about ourselves. Okay? Okay. So I think that rather than just be critical of Martha, let's celebrate her for a moment. Let's look at the good qualities of Martha that are told to us in this story and some things that we see that she was doing that were very good. The first thing that we notice is it says that when Jesus came to a certain village and he met Martha, she welcomed him into her house. Why does it tell us it was Martha's house? Because it was her house. Her brother and her sister, Mary and Lazarus, live with her. And many people believe that she was probably a widow. But what this does tell us is it was her house. She was the mistress of the house. And that's why she was so concerned about her domestic responsibilities and, and serving and doing the things that she was doing. But I want you to notice that she welcomed him. This was a woman of hospitality. And you know what the Bible says about hospitality? The Bible has a lot to say about hospitality. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, in the chapter that talks about the transformation that occurs, the transformation, what it means to actually become a person of God, a child of God, a Christian. It uses this. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Now that word given to means inclined toward. Or uh, they have a proclivity. They are prone to be hospitable. I think that's who Martha was. And we see that in the way that she received Christ into her home. This was a woman who was hospitable. This was a woman who was glad to have people in her home. And the second thing we see about her is that while Jesus was in her home, she wasn't just serving, she was doing much serving. Much serving. I think this indicates there were probably more people in the house than just Jesus, Mary, and Martha. Because she was doing much serving. So much serving that it became a burden to her. But she was a servant. 
And that's who she was. And she thought that was important. And it was important. Jesus would say this in Matthew chapter 20. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. You know what Jesus said about being a servant, about doing much serving? That's the road to greatness. You don't become great because you boast or you try to let everybody know how great or talented you are, how smart you are. You become great by serving. And Martha, she was serving. Not just serving, but doing much serving. So here's the question. If hospitality and service are such highly exalted virtues, why was Martha corrected by the Lord? Well, here's why she wasn't. This, is, this was, I'm going to spit that out in a minute. She wasn't being corrected because she was serving. She wasn't being corrected because she was concerned about serving. She was being corrected because of her attitude about serving and because that serving that she was doing was a distraction to her. You ever thought about that word? She was distracted with much serving? What was she distracted from? You know, the idea that we're distracted means there's something else we should be focusing on, but we're distracted from that. What was she distracted from? How many times do you think Jesus was in their house? I mean, what if Jesus was coming to your house? Would you be distracted? By the presence of the Lord? From the presence of the Lord, rather? I mean, how many opportunities was she going to have to have Jesus in her home? And what was Jesus doing? He was pouring forth the words of life. And she was distracted. What does that mean, she was distracted? <clears throat> I want you to think about the scene. Get the scene for a moment. Here's Mary sitting on the floor at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is teaching her. And then picture Martha. These people in her home. And she's going back and forth and getting things and bringing people things and asking people if they have enough things and doing all the things that we would do if we were trying to be hospitable. Where's Mary's attention? Her attention, her mind, her heart, her eyes, her ears, every bit of her attention is on Jesus and His Word. And where's Martha's attention? On two people. Martha and Mary. She's going in out of the room. You know what she's looking at while she's serving? Mary. Mary's sitting on the floor, not helping me do what she should. Why do you think she expected Mary to be up helping her? Because that was probably what normally happened. But for some reason, Mary's not helping her. She's sitting in the floor. And Martha got upset. And you know what's interesting about this is Martha got so upset <clears throat> that not only does she question Mary, 
She questions Jesus and his care. Because she's looking at Mary and then she's looking at Jesus thinking, why isn't he doing something about this? Lord, do you not care? Do you not care that Mary doesn't care? That she's not helping me? Do you not care about the struggle that I'm in right now? Do you not care about the service that I'm providing? And so she tells Jesus, tell her to help me. That's a pretty bold request, isn't it? Lord, you tell her to help me. You know, she really felt like what was happening in that moment was neither fair nor right. Can you understand that? Have you ever been there? You ever just been going and doing, and you're busy, and you're working tirelessly, and you look around and nobody else is? I call that the Elijah syndrome. Elijah had that same thought in his life. Do you remember that story about Elijah where he goes out and sits under the juniper tree and says, God, nobody's doing anything for you anymore except for me, so just kill me. I mean, Mary is in that situation at this moment, looking around. Nobody's helping her. Everybody else is sitting down. Everybody else is ignoring her, or at least she thought they were. Her problem was not that she was hospitable. Her problem was her attitude. Sometimes service is a burden. And, you know, we can find ourselves in the same position when we're hospitable. We can find ourselves upset about someone else's table manners. We can find ourselves upset about someone's kids not acting how we think they ought to act or something getting broken or the food or, or people aren't helping us clean up after supper. We can get frustrated just like her and we can be hospitable and completely ruin the blessing of hospitality by being upset that we're the ones doing the serving. And you know what she missed out on? The blessing of serving. That's what she missed on. It should have been a blessing for her to serve the Lord. She shouldn't have been worried about what Mary was doing. She should have been worried about what was going on. Concerned about it, if you will. You know, hospitality is... It's tough. It is. It's tough. And when Toy and I first started having people in her home, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but men are pretty much oblivious to what's going on about 80% of the time inside of a home. Maybe that's not fair. Maybe you guys don't like that. I, that's, that's me, okay? And so we could have people in the home, and, and Toy's cooked all this food, and all these people are in the house, and she's running around serving everybody, and I'm in there doing what I always do, visiting while she brings me something to drink. And I'm having a great time, and after the night's over, I'm pretty happy about it, and I could sense a little frustration. And you know, it doesn't work that way anymore. That's not what we do. In fact, if we have people coming over, I'll tell you the first thing we do is prepare we prepare for people to be there. That way, when they get there, there's not all that happening. Now, Martha couldn't have done that. Jesus showed up. She's got to serve. 
But when we're hospitable, we try to make sure that there's going to be less work done while we're there. And so you know what happens after the meal? The food just sits there on the table. I don't care if people are there for three or four hours. It's just going to sit there. We're not going to get real busy and ignore our company. We're going to enjoy that time. But it, didn't, it wasn't always that way. A lot of times there would be a lot of frustration. There would be some tension because of what was happening. And you know what we missed in those times? The blessing of service and hospitality. Because at the end of the day, that's not what service is about. I've used this passage a few times and, uh, and we're going to use it again. But there's a blessing in just giving. A blessing in just giving. And it's hard for us to think that way because we think that we're blessed by getting a gift. And we forget that there's a blessing in giving a gift. And what is that blessing? Well, let's go into a little bit further detail about that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 and 15, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love, the less I am loved. And I want to really, really break this passage down and talk about it for just a moment. First of all, I want you to notice what Paul's talking about. Paul is saying, I am giving and you are receiving. That's what he's saying. And he says, I'm going to do that with what? With gladness. How could Paul be glad when this was happening, though? What was happening? He said, I will very gladly spend and be spent. You know what that means, those two words? The first one is spend. We know what that word means, right? It means to give of yourself. But the second word is the one that's most important, and that's be spent. And it literally means to drain the entire account. Now, I, there's this saying out there right now, you can't pour from an empty cup. Look, that's carnal. It's not biblical. Jesus poured from an empty cup. Paul said, I will dump out the entire bank account. I will be completely empty. Now, there were times he was empty, and he said he was empty. He said, i got nothing left in the tank, but I'm going, and I'm pressing forward. And Paul says, I'm willing to do that for you. Because that's what service is. It's not about the return on your investment. It's just about making the investment. Look at the second half of this. Though the more abundantly I love, the less I am loved. Now here's where it gets hard. It's when you spend and you spend and your cup is empty. And you get nothing in return. In fact, the more that you love a person, the less they love you. Do you suppose that's what Martha's feeling at this moment? Like nobody cares? Yeah. Nobody cares. Here I am spending. I'm being spent. Nobody else is spending with me. I'm the one spending and nobody cares. And the more that I love, it seems like the more that they're ignoring me. Been there? You know why Paul was willing to spend and be spent regardless of the outcome? Because what Martha didn't realize is that just because she wasn't getting gratitude, she wasn't getting a thank you card, just because nobody invited her to their house after she invited them to her house, despite all those things that were happening, 
the Lord saw her service. And you may look at your service and think nobody notices and nobody cares, but the Lord sees your service despite the lack of love you might be receiving for the love you're pouring out. And that's more important than anything. More important than any instant gratification we might receive for the service we do here on earth. And because of that, because Martha didn't understand that, she missed the, service, uh, the, the blessing rather of just serving. Lord, do you not care? That's a tough question. You know, I think when she asked him that question, Lord, do you not care? What she was saying is, do you not see what's going on here? Did Jesus know? Yeah, he knew. In fact, he not only knew what was happening on the outside, he knew what was happening on her inside. And he acknowledges that. He said, you are anxious. And you are bothered about what's happening. You're bothered about many things. She was bothered and she was anxious. And the Lord recognized that. But I'll tell you what she wanted. She wanted Jesus to validate her feelings. And he wouldn't do that. He didn't do that. And I'll tell you why he didn't validate her feelings. Because her feelings were wrong in that moment. They were wrong. Because her perspective was wrong. Because she was upset with her sister over something she shouldn't have been upset about. And so Jesus had to help her understand what was going on. Because she was not only upset with Mary, she was upset with Jesus. Here's the biggest part of this teaching. What was she anxious and bothered about? Many things. <laughs> uh, maybe more than she mentioned. But here's what we can know. Jesus said, you're bothered and you're troubled. You're anxious about many things, but one thing is needed. And what's he telling her? The many things that you're bothered about are not the most important thing. The things you're bothered about and anxious about are not the necessary thing. There's one thing that's necessary. And Mary has chosen that good part. Why is that significant? Mary has chosen. What did she tell Jesus? What did Martha tell Jesus? Tell her. Make her do it. Command her. And what did Jesus say? She chose. I gave her the choice. She chose. And she chose right. But you know what's sad? Is Martha's mad at Mary. I keep pointing down here like she's on the floor. Martha's mad at Mary because she thinks she's doing the wrong thing. Martha's mad at Mary because she thinks Mary's being selfish. But here's the real trick of it. Is if Martha had it her way, Jesus would have made Mary do the wrong thing. And the irony is this. Martha thought Mary was being selfish. But it was Martha who was actually being selfish. 
Because not only was she robbing herself of a blessing, if she had it her way, she would have robbed Mary of the one thing that was needed. She would have Mary join in with her in being distracted and pull her attention away from Jesus and His Word and upon the things that really didn't matter. I bet she never forgot this moment. I bet she never forgot the teaching that Jesus gave her here and the help that He gave her as He taught her that there's a good part and that's what Mary has chosen. And the reason why it's the good part is because that will never be taken away from her. You know, if you think about that, what Martha was going through at that moment in the serving she was doing, that was going to end soon. Yeah, it was frustrating. Yeah, she was anxious about it. Yeah, it, it is frustrating when people aren't helping. But you know what? You don't have to live with that your whole life unless you decide to. It's not forever. And she was willing to take away, to take away from Mary what was forever to give herself a blessing for a moment of the relief that she thought she deserved. So, let's think about what we have talked about just for a moment. And the first thing I want to notice is Matthew 5 and 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I think this passage embodies Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Why is she sitting there? Because she's hungry. She is thirsty. And Jesus is filling her. And here's the thing. Mary is going around feeding everyone else. Uh, I'm sorry. Martha is going around feeding everyone else. But Martha doesn't realize she needs to be fed. And here was an opportunity when the Lord was in her home speaking the words of life to be fed. And that was the one thing. And it goes a lot like Jesus saying in John 6 where he looked out on the crowd and he said, look, you're here because you ate the bread and you were filled and your fathers ate man in the wilderness and they're dead, but I have food that I can give you and you'll never die. It'll never be taken away from you. Don't seek for the food that perishes, but seek for the food that is everlasting. If you're hungry and you're thirsty, you will be filled. And Mary had a desire. You know why Mary had a desire? 1 Peter chapter 2 and 3 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word or the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is gracious. Mary had tasted that the Lord was gracious. She had already been blessed by Jesus' teaching. She had already been blessed by Jesus' power when He cast seven devils out of her. And she was locked onto Him. Her attention was focused on Jesus. She knew this is the one thing. This is the greatest thing. This is where I need to be. I need to be sitting here. Do we recognize that? Do we have that desire? Do we 
have we tasted that the Lord is gracious? Because it's the one thing that is needed in our life. So, as we close today, I want us to ask, are we more like Martha or are we more like Mary? That is, is our attention on the many things or do we, like Mary, make sacrifices to give our full attention to the Lord? You say, what sacrifice did she make? You know, here's the truth about life. If you're going to give your full attention to the Lord, you're going to make sacrifices no matter what. Now, some of those sacrifices may seem insignificant to other people. Because maybe it's not like where the disciples left their nets by the, the Sea of Galilee and followed Jesus and just quit their jobs. Maybe it's not that kind of sacrifice, but every day you're faced with choices whether to give your attention to the wrong things or the one thing. And you're going to have to make sacrifices in order to do it. And that, may, that may be that you don't get to spend as much time with your family as you want. It may be that you can't work as much as you want. It may be that you can't go and do the things that you desire to do. But you're going to make sacrifices to give your full attention to Jesus and are we doing that? The Bible says this, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Set your mind, okay? What does it mean, set? Put it on lock, okay? So I've got this camera set up here and there's a feature on there where you get your focus in a certain place and you can lock that focus. And... As long as you don't touch that button, that focus will stay there the entire time. That's what this means. Set your mind. Lock your focus on the one thing, not on the many. Give your attention, your focus, your heart, your mind, your eyes and ears, just like Mary, to Christ and His Word. Are we more like Martha and Mary? Are we anxious about the cares of this life? Or do we recognize the one thing? See, that's, that's, that's the whole thing, is, is do we recognize it? Because I think sometimes we, we know what it is. It's, it's there, but do we see it? You know when the, the hardest time to see the one thing is? During the anxiety. When the pressure's on, when it seems like you've got a thousand things that you've got to get done and you've got no energy to do it and you're just running on fumes, you forget about the one thing. And it overwhelms us. It'll take a hold of us. Luke 8 and 14, Jesus said this, Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. These are the many. These are not the one thing. The one thing is what was given to them. They heard it. But he said they're choked. That's a strong word, isn't it? What is choked? What happens when something's choked? It dies. I'm going to tell you something today. If you're choked by these things, you will die. That's the point Jesus is making. 
These things, these distractions, they can choke you. They can kill you spiritually. You know, Martha, her intention had nothing to do with riches. There were cares, but, but I'll tell you, all these things that Jesus mentioned here, they're all related. They're all related. And let me show you what I mean by they're all related. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9, and stick with me for a moment. You, you'll think, well, why are we taking a detour? We're not. We're coming back. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I'm just going to guess that probably at some point everybody in their life has thought if we just were rich, things would be easier and we'd be happy. I've thought that. I've thought that on more than one occasion. You know why? Because not being rich causes a lot of problems. And, but you know what? This isn't actually about the rich. It's not about the rich. It's about those who desire to be rich. And there's a big difference in that. Because here's the thing. You can live your entire life and never become rich, but all these things happen to you. Even though you never get rich, they can all happen. Because it's that desire that causes the problem. And we think, well, let's be rich. Let's work to get rich. And we'll be blessed and we'll be happy and we'll have peace. We'll have financial peace. But here's the thing about desire. How many people probably ever stop at the beginning of a business venture when they have this grand scheme to make a lot of money, think, honey, this is going to be great. We're going to fall into temptation and a snare. We're going to fall into foolish and hurtful lust. We're going to destroy ourselves. We're going to drown ourselves in perdition. Doesn't this sound great? It's going to lead us to all kinds of evil. I mean, we're going to leave God. We're going to stray from the faith. We're going to become greedy. Nobody thinks that. Everybody thinks about the blessing of the riches. But here's why this warning is here. Here's why this is a cautionary tale. is because most of us in this room, we're never going to be rich. Now, I know we talk about, well, we're all rich. We're all rich compared to Nigeria. And I get that, but here's the thing. Rich is about perspective. And we may look over there and we should be grateful because we don't live like they do. But I don't live in a Nigerian economy, Okay. I don't go purchase something and somebody goes, I'm going to charge you the Nigerian price today. Or I'm going to charge you the India price. That doesn't happen. Rich is about perspective. And I'm not going to desire to be rich like I am. I'm going to desire to be rich like the rich guy. And what does that mean? Whatever I want it to mean. We've all got an idea about what rich is, don't we? And you know, one of the reasons why this happens is because we live in a land where you can live like the rich, even if you're not rich. As long as you've got to do is keep making those payments. And here's what Solomon said about that. He said, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave of the lender. Here's, here's the ironic part. 
You go out and you take a loan from people that have more money than you, right? That's why they're lending us the money, because they have money that we don't have. And we only do that so we can sell them our money back to them at a high interest rate. And I'm not going to get into that a whole lot, but, but here's the thing about debt and about this relationship that he's talking about. It's not just a relationship where it gives us hard times. He says the borrower is slave to the lender. He said, okay, you said you're going to come back. We're coming back. We're coming back. Because the reason that I have accumulated debt in my life at times was because I had something that I looked at that I said, I want that, but I can't afford it. But I do have a credit card. I remember I brought a drum set uh, like 2004, okay? I bought this drum set. We were broke, really broke, you know, making... $300 a week or something like that. And I bought this $400 drum set on credit that was totally dumb. But I just, I know how debt worked. I thought, this is great. I'm going to buy that. So I bought it. Well, that credit card was on my credit report for seven years. Because we were barely able to buy food. And so I, I just let it go. I didn't pay it. But they called me all the time. Want my money. And I'll tell you, every time the phone rang, I started sweating. So I thought, oh, great, here they are again. And I worried about them calling me. Dad remembers, they used to call me at work. He'd say, who's that? And I'd be like, just a second. <laughs> you know what it was? Third-party debt collectors called me, wanting my money. Why? Because they knew how the relationship worked. They knew I was the slave and they were the master. And it caused me stress and anxiety in my life that I really didn't need. And so in my venture to get this toy that was going to make my life better, it made my life terrible. How's it all tied together? When your desire is for the many things, you'll go get it. And when you go get it, It's going to take your attention because now you've got a new master, not Jesus. you got a new master. And what did Jesus say about this? He said the same thing Solomon did. He said, no man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one, love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. He warned us. Jesus is the one thing. This life, it's got so many things to offer. But it's not the one thing. Are we like Mary or Martha? Are we robbing ourselves and others of being blessed? Or are we choosing the good part? The first thing I thought about when I was thinking about this contrast was Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know what he said? If you will seek the one thing, I'll bless you with the many. I'm just going to guess that everybody's probably heard this illustration. Maybe some of you haven't. But I think this is a fantastic illustration. And it's very visual. There was a professor that came into his class one day and he brought in this big jar. 
And he started putting these big rocks inside of this jar. And he held it up for the class and he said, is this jar full? And they said, yes. And so he pulled out another container full of small pebbles. And he began to pour the small pebbles into the jar and shimmy the jar a little bit. And the small pebbles began to fall down between the cracks and crevices of the big rocks. And he held it up again and he said, is this jar full? And now in their skepticism and their doubt that they had the right answer, they go, well... We're not sure. And so he pulls out another container full of sand and he pours it in the top and begins to shake it around. The sand works its way to the bottom. He pours a little more sand and he shakes it up. And he says, you know, if you fill this jar full of the sand, it'll be full. You'll never be able to put the rocks in. You'll never be able to put the pebbles in. So in fact, if you fill this jar up full of the pebbles... You'll also never be able to put the big rocks in. And the illustration is this, that this jar represents your time and your life and, and that these big rocks represent what's most important, that one thing that is needed. And the pebbles represent responsibility and the sand represents the distractions. And the truth is, if you fill up your life full of the wants and the menial tasks like what Martha was doing in that moment, the menial tasks of life, you'll have no room for the big rocks. But the big rocks are the one thing that's needed. It's not the sand. In fact, you can fill your life up full of the pebbles, things that are our responsibility, things that are treasures to us, things that are important that God commands us to take care of, and you still won't have time for the big rocks. You can't put them in there. But if we, like Jesus, taught us, if we'll put the big rocks in first and we'll fill our jar with the big rocks and make sure the big rocks are there, we'll focus on the one thing. We'll seek the kingdom first. We hunger after and thirst after righteousness. There's room for the rest. So what's your life look like? What's in your jar? Are we Mary? Are we Martha? Friends, today we offer the invitation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one thing that's needed. His word, His truth is the one thing that is needed. And today you can have it. And so if you don't know Jesus and you don't have him in your life, he is the one thing that you desperately need. And we want to help you to gain that. And maybe you're here today and your jar's messy. And that's really causing you to struggle. Well, don't come to me, but come to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one thing. Jesus can help you and will help you. Come, have a seat as we stand and we sing.